my mom told me I could go over to the neighbors who usually babysat me. I told my mom that she had a spider on her head. This year we were going to New York City. Welcome to the Appleseed Studio. I'm Sam Payne, your host. And the Appleseed is a place where we spend an hour together listening to stories. Sometimes they're tall tales, sometimes they're fairy tales, sometimes folk tales, personal and family tales. We believe that great stories can change your world. And we also believe that sometimes you just don't have the language to help you with some of the conversations that you'd like to have with some of the people that mean the most to you. And sometimes a great story can give you a thought or give you the words to engage in some of those conversations. We hope that happens today. I'm joined in the studio by one of our producers, Dr. Brian Tanner. Brian, it's great to have you with me. Hey, it's great to be here. This is going to be a good one. I think this is going to be a fun hour. This episode is going to drop uh, just a few days before Independence Day. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to go to some of those Independence Day places today. Yeah, we pulled out all the all the fireworks and <laughs> razzle-dazzle for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As we started to approach this episode of The Appleseed, we came to think about symbols of freedom that sort of open up our thoughts about independence, about our nation. You know? Yeah. The thing that's interesting about symbols is that they can mean different things for different people. Yeah. You know? Behind every one of those symbols of freedom is a story about your own thoughts, your own feelings about our nation mm-hmm. that you can share with the people that you love. Those are great conversations to have. And and so we're going to go to to all those places today. We're going to talk about the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, all kinds of things. We're going to talk about sunflowers, uh-huh. even you know, <laughs> in, in the in, in today's entry in the Radio Family <laughs> Journal. Uh, and there's more. Yes, there's more. Yes, I'm going to share with you an experience I had at the craziest fireworks spectacle that I have ever seen. I guarantee you, you have never heard of anything like this before. And we talked to the people who who put this um, these shenanigans together. So. <laughs> okay, well, I'm super excited to hear that. And that's coming up too. But first, we're going to listen to a story from Andy Offutt Irwin, the terrific Georgia storyteller. Visited us in the Apple studio, spent a wonderful hour with us uh, and our terrific studio audience. Yeah, so this story, uh, Andy is famous for his stories about Aunt Marguerite. Right. Uh, a fictional aunt, <laughs> yeah. we should say. <laughs> and, uh, you know, storytelling audiences around the country for years have just loved these stories that he tells about this uh, Aunt Marguerite. Right. And We uh, get in trouble, I should say, when we say, when we introduce her as, as Andy's fictional, fictional Aunt Marguerite. <laughs> we get hate mail about that. Do we? Uh, do we really? Oh, no. <laughs> but but a- Andy would talk about Aunt Marguerite as a, an amalgam of, he, of important people. Yes. Life, right? uh-huh. yeah. um, anyway, this is a story uh, involving, as you said, the Statue of Liberty, but we should make the distinction as we're introducing it here. The yeah. proper name of the statue, do you remember what it is? Liberty Enlightening the World. Liberty Enlightening yeah. the World. Yes. He makes a point of it. Yes, he does. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite an important point in the story. So uh, <laughs> this this is kind of tied up in all these ideas of America and the Statue of Liberty and freedom yeah. and what this country can mean to people. Sure. And even people coming to America. Yes. You'll, you'll meet uh, Uncle Leo, Uncle Leopold, and of course all of these wonderful characters that are the denizens of Aunt Marguerite's world. We're thrilled to bring you the story. Again, Andy Offit Irwin recorded live in the Appleseed studio before our terrific studio audience. Free the Imprisoned Lightning, it's called, and we're happy to bring it to you today on the Appleseed. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much. I can't tell you what an honor this is and how thrilled I am to be here. Um, You might know my 85-year-old Aunt Marguerite, who is a physician. Um, She loves liberty enlightening the world. Now, that is the proper name of what you would call the Statue of Liberty. And the reason she loves liberty enlightening the world is because her great-uncle Leopold Mendelssohn loved liberty enlightening the world. She loved to go visit great-uncle Leo. I have to call him great-great-uncle Leo. When she was a little girl, she would be in his, his heart pine den. He would be in his leather wingback chair with his feet on a fan ottoman. <laughs> an ottoman that had a little fan and he loved that thing and he, he would be in there and and he would go marguerite little one come free the imprisoned lightning 
and she would go over to him and he had a smoking stand with pipes on it and he had a cigarette lighter. It was the Statue of Liberty cigarette lighter. <laughs> and he would hold it still and she would pull down the tablet that Liberty held and a little flame would come out, <laughs> out of the torch. And he would say, you did it, you freed the imprisoned lightning, yay! And they would clap and sing and, and she loved great uncle Leo. Now, you might wonder why this guy from Georgia has a great, great uncle named Leopold Mendelssohn. Not exactly a southern-y kind of name. Well, Leopold Mendelssohn came to the United States from Germany when he was a little boy. And his first real memory is seeing in the harbor liberty enlightening the world. That's why he loves liberty so much. And he's one of those guys that he grew up in the lower east side of Manhattan. And he just made money as a young man. And he gave his family some of his earnings, but the money he kept for himself, he saved and saved and saved and saved. And after a time, he bought a Model T truck, tricked it out to live in, and started making his way down the Eastern seaboard. Now, a lot of Jewish men did this in the early into the mid uh, part of the 20th century. They came to the South, specifically Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia, and started retail businesses. Uncle Leo meandered his way down for two years. He was in, um, he, he was working with a company that wholesaled to farmers. He would buy farming equipment, go to the farms, sell it to the farmers. He had household goods. He would sell to the wives of the farmers. Save his money, meander down, save his money, meander down. Stayed at auto camps, which is what people used to do in the early part of the 20th century. It was a very popular thing to do, even before motels started popping up. And finally, he made his way into my little town of Covington, Georgia. Beautiful little place. He loved it. And like a lot of guys who grew up in the North, he had been cold for two years, so he liked that it was in the South. <laughs> he went around the square twice, got out of his truck, walked around the square. What caught his eye was a jewelry store that was for sale, Jones Jewelry. And there was a realtor sign, of course, on the front of the store in the window. And he wrote down that number and he went to the payphone. He put a nickel in the payphone and called the realtor and said, I want to ask about this store, this Jones Jewelry. That is not a voice we hear where I'm from. <laughs> that, that New York Yiddish accent. And the realtor said, all right, I'll be right over. All he had to do was cross the square. And <laughs> there's Uncle Leo in front of the store. And he said, hi, I'm Leo. And he shook hands. He goes, oh, I'm Mr. Fetter. Hi. And then, you know, they went in the store and Leo looked at it. His, Leo's grandfather was a watchmaker. Later, I asked him about, you know, why jewelry store? He said, my, my grandfather was a watchmaker. How hard can it be? <laughs> he looked at the store, thought a couple of minutes, and he said, how much? Well, that's not the way you ask about real estate generally, how much? Well, now we need to talk about your credit and your character. Oh, my credit's good, my character's better. <laughs> How much? And they went back and forth on the price, and finally they agreed to a, a price, and <laughs> Uncle Leo went out to his truck, and he pulled out three money bags, paid cash for that store. <laughs> and then he didn't open it right away, of course. He, he went to Atlanta, and he went to a jewelry store school. He learned to fix watches. He learned the, the trade and everything he had to do, and six months later, he opened the store, and there it was. Uncle Leo's store. And then nobody came to it. He didn't change the name. The Joneses were a founding family in our town, but he, he had a trick. He put practical jokes in the window from the Adams Practical Jokes Company. We're talking the classics, kids. We're talking uh, joy buzzers made of metal, like they're supposed to be. We're talking about flies in the ice cube. We're talking um, a lot of things that are, are choking hazards, I'm sure. <laughs> And my favorite, disappearing ink. Yes, I knew Uncle Leo. Uncle Leo was born a week before Irving Berlin was born, and he lived two weeks after Ber Irving Berlin died. He was 103. When he heard that Irving Berlin had died, he said, how can I outlive the greatest songwriter of all time? Jewel of a guy. Did you use the disappearing ink, Andy? Yes, sir. That's good. Now, I had a teacher, Mrs. Davis. She didn't believe in ballpoints, although they exist. 
you take the you take that cartridge, you know, from that little safe there, and you just squeeze that in there, and that's fun. And I remember Marcy Robertson, who had never done anything bad in her life in school. I was talking with her, and I had my my fountain pen. The ink went across her her shirt, and she ran out to the restroom to wash it off without permission from the teacher. She got in trouble, and by the time she got into the restroom to wash it off, it was gone. Good stuff, man. Well, <laughs> some, of the, some of the brothers of the kids who bought Practical Jokes bought their class rings from Uncle Leo, Great Uncle Leo. I had to call him Great Great Uncle Leo. I asked him, why do I have to call you Great Great Uncle Leo? Because I'm that great. <laughs> Marguerite was a little girl. She was eight years old. She was visiting Uncle Leo. Well, let's have some ice cream. He had gone to, to get ice cream, and she was looking right across from his chair at this painting. Beautiful painting, an idyllic scene of a dog crouched down before some chickens. It had little white cracks all through it. And she was staring at it. She didn't know she was admiring art. She just loved that picture. She felt that she was related to, to that land, although she was no blood relation to Uncle Leo at all. And he came in and handed her her ice cream. And he says, you like that picture? Yes, sir. She was eight. What do you think that dog's name is? Well, she had learned a new word in her Sunday school class from her good Sunday school teacher, Miss Charlotte. She said, Steadfast. I think that dog's name is Steadfast. <laughs> That's right, Steadfast. That's the name of the dog. In fact, the picture's named Steadfast guarding his chickens. You're amazing. And they clapped and they cheered. And she knew he was kidding her, but he wasn't teasing her. And kids know the difference. Well, Uncle Leo, he had the store. When he opened the store, he, he would walk around the square, and at the end of the day, he would go to the library. He loved to read, and there was a, a woman who worked in the library, a young woman named Lily, Lily Cook, my great-great-aunt. And then Lily and Uncle Leo started walking around the square together, and then they would go to the drugstore and, and get a, an egg sandwich before... Lily went off to the library to open that, and Leo went to his store to open that. And then rumors began, the best kind of rumors, rumors that are true. <laughs> and then one day, Leo, with a ring, knelt before Lily and asked her to marry him, and she agreed. They had three daughters. The eldest daughter decided she was Jewish. The younger two daughters decided they were Methodists, mainly so they could hang out with the youth group. And Leo, Leo was beloved in our town. The Rotarian said, hey, we're Rotary International. He's from Germany. We ought to ask him. And he became a Rotarian. And then he would go to the Methodist church, especially when, when his daughters were singing in the choir, and he would stand during the Apostles' Creed, and he would sit, and he would stand when the hymns were being sung. And he didn't sing, but he smiled the entire time. And when he heard the children and the young people sing, it was the greatest music he ever heard and he would tear up. Everybody loved my great, great uncle Leopold Mendelssohn. When Marguerite was in fifth grade, she was in Mrs. Patterson's class, very patriotic history teacher, American history class. Children, I want you to come up with an idea. I want you to, to think of a symbol of America, and I want you to write down the, your favorite symbol of America and why you want to do a project on that symbol. Well, five or six kids had written Statue of Liberty, but Marguerite wrote Liberty Enlightening the World because my great uncle passed her in the harbor when he came to America from Germany. Well, Marguerite got the project. And then she, she could have one grown-up helper. She said, can we, can we make a, a paper mache Liberty enlightening the world? Of course. Can we, can we put a candle? No, it's in prison lightning. So he took his old Rayovac flashlight and he took it apart and they built it with some chicken wire and all that and the paper mache and they spray painted it gold and it was worthy of a photograph from the brownie camera. <laughs> that's, a big, that's a big deal, young people. Let me tell you something. <laughs> it doesn't happen every day. And, and there's a, that, that picture, there it is. They're, they're beside Liberty there. It's beautiful. It's hideous. And she learned so much about liberty enlightening the world. And there they are. They're, they're, they've got that picture with the paper machine liberty in front of the painting. Marguerite asked him once, why does it have all those cracks? Ah, well, you know, there were some good people that kept that painting for us in Germany. 
while we came to America. And then I had to send for it, and it took a long time. It, it spent some time in Norway, and it spent some time in Sweden. And that wasn't good for it to be shipped in on those ships with the salt air. But here it is. He didn't explain why the had to go to so many places. She would understand that later. <sighs> so, Marguerite kept in touch with the eldest of the granddaughters because um, Uncle Leo had a, had a daughter. He, he was widowed at 60, so he was widowed a long time of part of his life. He had, a, you know, the daughter who was the eldest and that daughter had a daughter and, the, and that great-granddaughter of his was named Rose. And Marguerite kept in touch with Rose because Rose would come to Covington to go to the graves of Uncle Leo and Lily. And whenever she came to Covington to go visit the graves, she called Marguerite. Marguerite loved to visit with, with Rose. They would meet, and then they would walk around the cemetery together, and then they would come to the tombstones, and they would each pull out a small stone and put the stone upon the tombstone, a stone for a stone, a Jewish tradition when you visit the grave. Rose and Marguerite stayed very, very close. And then Rose had a son named Benjamin. Rose lived in Atlanta in the Virginia Highlands area, and she sent Marguerite an email, I want you to come to Benjamin's bar mitzvah. And Marguerite said, of course. And Rose said, do you want me to send you an Uber? No, I, I, she called her. I will drive myself in my, my, my Plymouth. I know how to come to Atlanta. And she did. She went to Benjamin's bar mitzvah. She had a, a present for him, and she rang the doorbell, and Benny answered the floor. Hi, Benny. I'm no longer Benny. I'm Ben or Benjamin. I'm a man now. <laughs> Duly noted. Now, I have a present for you before your mama catches me. And she gave him a case pocket knife with his initials BK. His last name was Katz, initialed on the hilt. Now, that's a pocket knife, and here's a penny. You're supposed to give a penny with a pocket knife. Why? I don't know. People do it. Happy Bar Mitzvah Day, whatever y'all call it. And she had a wonderful time, and she greeted all the people, and she enjoyed all the folks. And then finally, at the end of the visit, Rose said, Aunt Marguerite, will you tarry a little bit and just wait in the, in the den while everybody else leaves? I want to visit just with you. She said, of course. And she walked into the den, and boom, there on the wall was that picture, that beautiful painting. And she was so glad to see it. She's so glad it was in the family and that other people were enjoying it and it was hanging there. And Rose walked in. She had a little orange plant in her hand. She put her arm around her great-great-cousin or whatever she is. And Rose said, what are we exactly? What do you call what we are? Marguerite said, we're called relatives who love being kin. And that's enough. She hugged a little bit. And Marguerite said, I'm glad to see liberty and light. I'm, I'm, excuse me. I'm glad to see Steadfast guarding his chickens. You know the name of this? Well, I reckon. Great Grandpa said that one of his favorite little girls named this picture. Oh, did he now? I have a gift for you. This is, a, this is just a little orange plant. I know it'll bloom. I don't know if it'll make any fruit that's worth it, but uh, it's the Sukkot. It's the, the first fruits, and it's a tradition to give a, a fruiting plant to someone you love, and I want you to have this. Oh, Rose, Rose, I love this. Thank you, darling. And the older woman and the younger woman hugged. Well, that was in the fall. In the middle of December, Marguerite got another email from Rose. I would like for you to come to a small dinner gathering. And Marguerite said, of course. Do I need to send you an Uber? An Uber? You know the answer to that. <laughs> and that time arrived, and Marguerite decided she would take Rose a plant from the tradition of her faith, and you would call it a poinsettia. Now, I don't like to call it a poinsettia. That's named after a man from South Carolina who found him in, in, the, in the tropics, and he named it after himself. He, you got to be proud of yourself to name a plant that's been around for a long time after yourself. It should be called the Flor de Noche Buena. That's what Spanish people call it, the Flor de Noche Buena, which Noche Buena is Spanish for the good night, and that's what Mexican folks call Christmas Eve. And she brought that to Rose. She rang the doorbell expecting Benjamin to answer it, but he didn't. It was, it was Rose herself. 
And Rose said, that is so beautiful. Don't call it a poinsettia. (laughs) I would do no such thing. (laughs) This is a flood to note your way. And then Marguerite told Rose, now this is from our faith. There was once a little girl in Mexico named Pepita, and she was on her way to note your way, which is Christmas Eve. And she was sad because she had nothing to offer the Christ child at church. And she sat down in the middle of the road and began to weep. And an angel appeared before her. He said, oh, calm down, sugar. I'm paraphrasing. Why are you crying? She says, I have nothing to offer the Christ child, Mr. Angel. He said, look, you pull up some weeds next to the road and that'll be enough. You put that at the altar of the church. And by the end of the service, those red blossoms appeared and it was a miracle. And that's why we we give and hold the flood to Nocho Wena. Rose said, I love this. Thank you so much. Come on in. Now, Rose's house is uh, like a... Salt Block's big uh, uh, brick house in the Virginia Highlands area, but she and her husband cleared out all the walls. There's big open space into the kitchen. Open kitchens. Marguerite worries about how would a wife ever say to a husband, I need to talk to you in the kitchen. (laughs) Marguerite said, where's everybody else? Because she was on time, but she wasn't late, and she was wondering where everybody was. Oh, I said it was a small party. It's just the two of us. Oh, Marguerite was so happy. She says, I'm still cooking. Come on in. Rose took the fleur de nochovena. She put it on the proper windowsill. It was a big windowsill that had a couple of other plants. Big plate glass window looking out to the, to the winter backyard. Magnolia trees are green. The grass was brown. There was a bare redbud tree in the middle of it. And Marguerite put her arms on the granite countertop, and she and Rose were chatting and a chill came to Marguerite because when you put your arms on the granite, you get cold. And she went, Woo-boo. she did that number. And when that happened, she saw two petals of the flower go through the window and light onto the red bud tree. And Marguerite went, <gasps> and Rose said, are you all right? I'm such an old fool. I, was, I thought two of, the, two of the petals went through the window and went onto the tree. It's a cardinal. <laughs> and they both laughed at that and, and then they looked at the cardinal for a while. And then Rose said, I have something for you. I think I ruined it, but I want you to have it. What? Just wait right here. And she went and got a big flat package and placed it on the counter. Brown paper, a twine string. Opened that. Marguerite opened it. Moved back the leaves of the brown paper, and there it is, the painting. Steadfast guarding his chickens. <gasps> Rose, this is so beautiful. I, I got, oh, where are the cracks? Rose said, I ruined it. I ruined it. <sighs> I was taking a painting class, and I filled in the cracks. I was learning to mix paint, and I, I wanted to give this to you and make it perfect. And there it is. And, and then a friend of mine saw it, and she has a friend at the High Museum. They both looked at it and said, that's a Daniel Mortis Oppenheim. This is priceless. And I ruined it. You did no such thing. I've never received such a wonderful gift in all my life. Thank you, Rose. It's perfect. It is perfect. And they hugged. Right then, Benjamin came through the front door. Woohoo! <laughs> he said, hey, great, 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 great cousin Marguerite. <laughs> and they hugged. He said, thank you so much for the knife. And Marguerite said, now you be careful with that knife. Remember, they'll take it from you at the airport. Make sure it's not in your carry-on. <laughs> yes, ma'am, I remember that. Wow! I was wondering where this painting went. Mom, where, where are the cracks? Your mama made it better. And then Rose said, I have something else for you. It's a consolation prize for the reason, the way I I, I ruined this painting. And Rose went and got a big, tall box and opened that. Marguerite opened it. (gasps) Oh, my word. It's the Liberty Enlightening the World Seagull Lighter. (laughs) There it was. She put it on the counter. Ben said, I've never seen that. Well, son, it's been in the attic. Why did you keep it in the attic, Rose? Well, we don't smoke. (laughs) Benjamin, I have a present for you. But before I give you this, remember, Rose, I'm an old lady. He has to have this. 
I don't care how tacky it is. <laughs> but Benjamin, before I give you liberty, listen to me. Do you know about liberty enlightening the world and how important it is to our family? Do you know about your great-great-grandfather, Leopold Mendelssohn? He said, a little bit, yeah. Well, look at her feet. What do you see? He looked at her feet. She has sandals on, but there are chains and shackles, and they're broken. That's right. She is breaking out of chains and shackles. Not enough people know about her feet. And look at her right foot. What's it doing? He said, it's lifting up. That's right. She's lifting her right foot. She is moving forward for a more, better union. Remember, more is an adjective of action, people. That's what she's doing. Do you know why we have her? Uh, she was a president from France. Absolutely. Edward de Lebule had this idea. When the United States emancipated the slaves, he was so impressed, he wanted France to notice it, and he proposed giving us this colossal statue, what he called his, his buddy, Frederick Bartholdi, and he designed it. And then the inside of her, you know, you know how the real liberty stands up? Her innards are made from Gustav Eiffel. Ever heard of him? Like Eiffel Tower? Absolutely. That's how she stands in the harbor. Well, President Grant said, I know of an island, y'all can put her here. And that's what people did. So France was going to send her to us. Can you imagine being in a country so great that we could get a colossal present like that from another country and have the grace to accept it? Well, we had to build the pedestal, of course. That's only fair. And Mr. Pulitzer, the newspaper man, put out the word, and people gave dollars and dimes and nickels, so many thousands of people to make that beautiful, beautiful pedestal, which is a building, for her to stand on. And then there was a poet named Emma Lazarus who wrote a poem because she knew that when people came to the harbor from somewhere else, she would be one of the first things that anybody sees. And she wrote, Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here, at our sea watch, sunset gate shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air bridge harbor that twin cities frame. Keep ancient lands your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Bring me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these the homeless, tempest tossed to me. I lift my light beside the golden door. May we all remember that. And may we all be listening as hard as we can to the better angels of our nature. Free the Imprisoned Lightning, a story told for you by Andy Offutt Irwin, recorded live in the Appleseed studio. There's a lot more coming up this hour on the Appleseed, but in just a moment, a little talk back about that story that you won't want to miss. I'm Sam Payne. It was a pleasure to listen to Andy Offit Irwin, the wonderful Georgia storyteller, who joined us in the Appleseed studio for a telling of his story, Free the Imprisoned Lightning, a story uh, inhabited partly, at least, by Aunt Marguerite. Aunt Marguerite is the fictional great aunt of Andy Offit Irwin. She's at the center of a lot of his tales, and it was a great pleasure to hear that story, and a great pleasure now to be joined around the desk by our producers, Dr. Brian Tanner, Dr. Heather Bigley. Guys, thanks for joining me. Hello. Hey, it's great to be here. Let's talk a little bit about this story. Where did this story take you? I mean, it took me to presence, and it's just a story of present after present after present in a lot of ways, <laughs> and, and meaningful presence, mm -hmm. right? Like, and I thought, 
what's the best present I've ever gotten? Hmm. I haven't come up with that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I love talking about stories with other people because maybe they come at it at an angle that I wasn't even thinking about. I wasn't thinking about presents, but I'm like, oh, yeah, the the paintings and the— The the, orange tree. The— not poinsettia. No. Nope. The, the flor de noche buena. Um, but also that ties back to the Statue of Liberty itself, liberty enlightening the world, because that was a gift right. from from France yeah. to our country. And Marguerite, that's something that impresses her greatly. Like, what a great country one must be if a whole other country wanted to give us, <laughs> give us something that shows, you know, how— uh, how much we value liberty and uh, the the rights of our citizens. You know, I'm I'm an, an American. I was born in America, so yeah. I, I never had the experience of of immigrating here from from elsewhere. But yeah. I remember just a, a trip that I took down to Brazil for about a month. Um, I was just visiting. We traveled all over the place. I went with my friends. It was it was really really great. But when I got back to the Detroit airport, I remember walking through the airport and seeing like. ESPN playing on a sports bar TV <laughs> and like an A&W and then I saw an American flag and I literally got tears running uh-huh. down my face because I was just like, you know, as much as I love Brazil and I've spent, you know, years there and I've studied the culture and I've studied the language and, you know, as much as I love that, it's just like, I'm an American. This is the place where I'm from. This is this is where my, my loved ones yeah. are. And there's just something that's so at the core of me that just responds to these American symbols. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we had this experience. My husband migrated uh, with his family when he was one from Korea. And mm. uh, I think two years ago, we were on Ancestry.com, little plug, uh, and we found <laughs> his um, immigration papers mm. for mm. his father wow. and for him. And then we also found his application for citizenship. Yeah. And just the discussion that came out of that sitting on our couch about, you know, what his feelings were looking at that paperwork uh, and how that paperwork represented a whole incredible opportunity and experience for his family. My great-grandfather came from Greece. He lied about his age to get a job on a ship and came to America and... uh, set up shop, you know, put down roots. And and uh, not too long after he came to America, he went and fought in World War I uh, because a friend of his had been drafted, but the friend had a wife and kids, and my great-grandfather was unattached, and so he said, I'll go in your place. Mm. And I think about that often. I think about somebody having come to what they perceived as a land of opportunity and almost immediately upon arrival going and fighting for that country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Wow. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, the, the Statue of Liberty brings to mind for a lot of us the way that our families came to this place. You know, what I loved about the story is— I love Marguerite's kind of impassioned speech about the Statue of Liberty. And just, I loved how just um, uncomplicated her love of the Statue of Liberty and and of America mm-hmm. is. Yeah. You know, I think it's easy to get bogged down in a lot of complicated stuff and this side versus that side. Um, but I, I think at our core, we all love this country, mm-hmm. you know. And some of my favorite experiences that I've had where I've just felt like, wow, I'm an American. This is great. You know, I, <laughs> I spent three consecutive summers in this little tiny town called Worcester, Ohio. Um, it's in the middle of a lot of cornfields in the center of Ohio. Um, I was singing with a with an opera company out there. Yeah. And um, on the 4th of July, we had no performances. We would go down to the town square and the town square was just decked out on all sides, flags everywhere, bleachers set up, folding chairs set up. <laughs> the whole town would come to hear this concert that we would put on. Hmm. We'd bring our orchestra out. We'd come and sing. There was something about being there, and it's just like, look at this. We're all just getting together to celebrate how much we love our country, and we don't yeah. be fancy about it. And we don't, you know, we can yeah. just we can just kind of strip away our cynicism for one night, and we can be here on the square and just listen to some really great cheesy music <laughs> and think about our country, and then go to the fireworks show afterwards. <laughs> I just really loved that experience. (laughs) We've been thinking today a little bit about symbols of freedom. And Andy Offit Irwin's story about the Statue of Liberty brought to my mind a symbol that I'd like to share with you. It's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. 
The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed. When I was 12, I was cast as one of the Von Trapp kids in a local production of Rodgers and Hammerstein's The Sound of Music, the story of the famous Von Trapp family singers and their escape from Austria and the Nazi regime on the cusp of World War II. It was an enormous project for our little town, putting on that musical play. It was such an important experience for all of us that on the 20th anniversary of that little show, the town performed it again and invited a bunch of the folks from the show 20 years ago to come and see it. Well, I lived 300 miles away by then, but I jumped in my little truck and headed toward my hometown to join the party. And I don't know what I thought would stand out most about seeing that show, but the thing that did was just how beautiful a song Edelweiss happens to be. Blossom of snow, may you bloom and grow, bloom and grow forever. Edelweiss, Edelweiss, bless my homeland forever. That beautiful song about the tiny Austrian flower, the song that in the musical somehow symbolizes the whole expanse of Captain von Trapp's love for his homeland of Austria. Well, a lot of people mistake that song for an old Austrian folk song or even for the Austrian national anthem. And it's neither, of course. It was just written by Rodgers and Hammerstein for the musical. But the flower, Edelweiss, is a flower that in real life does kind of the job that the song does in the musical. It's a symbol for the love Austrians have for their nation. It's illegal to pick an Edelweiss flower in Austria. Edelweiss was once depicted on the old Austrian shilling coin and later on the two-cent euro coin. Mountain troopers in the Bavarian Alps wear Edelweiss insignia on their caps. Well... My hometown is in Utah, in the United States of America, and as I drove the 300 miles back home after seeing the 20-year anniversary production of The Sound of Music, I found myself wondering what the Edelweiss of my own land might be. In other words, if Rodgers and Hammerstein chose a flower to say about my beloved part of the world what they use Edelweiss to say about Austria, what flower would they pick? And as I thought about that, I almost didn't notice, growing in the median of the freeway, thousands and thousands and thousands of sunflowers. You could see them growing for nearly the whole 300-mile trip. And this might be weird, but I thought about Willa Cather, the author who wrote the book My Antonia, a novel in which her protagonist, Jim Burden, talks about having heard a legend that the vanguard company of Mormon pioneers traveling the lonely plains from Missouri to Utah in 1847 scattered sunflower seeds along the trail so that future wagon companies would have a sunflower road to follow. That's not true, of course, and the character in the book knows it's not true, but in the book he says that the legend has stuck in his mind and that sunflower-lined roads always seem to him to be the roads of freedom. Now, maybe that's complicated, but I thought about all that as I drove that long road among the sunflowers. And as I drove, I began to sing a little song I made up as I drove, my own little Edelweiss song, but about sunflowers. Sunflower pushing me along now. You and I got far to go. Heaven knows I'm weary hanging on. Flung out among the sage by my mama's mama's mama. Look at you. Gonna see right through you to the dawn. So little thing, lift your head to God and grow. I think it's enough for me and I won't let go. Well, That little song fleshed itself out, and it became part of my repertoire as a performing songwriter. I sang it, in fact, at a concert held shortly after the Russian invasion of Ukraine in 2022. The concert was a benefit for war-torn Ukrainian citizens. And outside the venue, there was a Ukrainian flag mounted in a barrel filled with sunflowers, the national flower of Ukraine. And it was that flag in that barrel of sunflowers that was on my mind as I sang. Sunflower, bring in on the daytime, you and I must make it through. 
Heaven knows I'm stronger than before. Yellow all along the road, like a beacon there before me. Look at you, gonna see me safely through the war. So little thing, lift your head to God and grow. I think it's enough for me, and I won't let go. Well, singing that song in that place was a powerful experience for me. After all, the same symbol can, over time, come to mean something different or something more than it meant when it first came to us, right? I don't know if I appreciated Edelweiss when I was 12, like I did 20 years later. Maybe the Statue of Liberty or the American flag has come to mean something different or something more to you than it did when you were younger. One thing seems clear, keeping track of those objects, those symbols that are connected to the things you feel and believe and love when you most need to share or ponder on the things you feel and believe and love, gives you a doorway in. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. It's been a pleasure for me to chat with uh, our producers, Brian Tanner and Heather Bigley. Guys, thanks for joining me for some thoughts about Andy Offutt Irwin's story, Free the Imprisoned Lightning. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. And there's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on this hour of the Appleseed. We've kind of been talking about symbols of freedom on this episode. We've talked about the Statue of Liberty. Uh, you heard an entry in the Radio Family Journal about sunflowers. And up next, uh, a little montage of voices. Brian, tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, so this is a fun piece. This was put together by our assistant producer, Jen Baker. She just took a little handheld mic out and asked all kinds of people the same questions about America. What's the most American thing you've ever seen? <laughs> These are the kind of questions that you might have been asked on an elementary school essay. Yeah. You know, what, what does freedom mean to you? Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. And you know. for those of us who are a little removed from elementary school, you know, <laughs> it's fun to go and think about that thing, those things as with more experience. That's and, right. It's a lot of fun, and we're happy to bring it to you. Again, produced by Jen Baker. Here's a little montage of voices talking about their thoughts about freedom. Uh, what is the most American thing you've ever seen? Er, oh my gosh, wait. The most American thing I've ever seen is the Statue of Liberty. The flag, whole glory, the stars and stripes. The blue angels soaring just above me as a child. McDonald's on the Champs-Élysées. The most American place to me is Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. What place feels the most American to you? National Historic Sites. Yosemite National Park. I love the national parks. There's something about going to a fast food joint and ordering a cheeseburger that brings warmth and comfort to the soul. Church, because I can worship how my conscience dictates. Freedom is like being able to do your own thing. Opportunity to live the life that I want to live in a safe and happy way. I think to me, the word freedom pertains to the constitutional rights that we as American citizens have been given. When have I been grateful for my freedoms? It was when the 2016 presidential election came around. I had the opportunity to vote for the first time. Every time I vote, I'm grateful for my freedom. It makes you realize, uh, especially as a young person, that your voice truly matters in shaping the future of the nation. Whenever I see new stories about immigration, like how hard some people are working to try to get into this country. One big thing I would I would hope for America is that we, uh, we as a nation, as a people, could strive to be more civil. As an Asian American and as a person of color, I'm very proud to be living in this country and identify as an American citizen. My greatest hope for America is that our culture will prize morality and virtue over greed or opportunity and champion education, intelligence, and wisdom above popularity. I would love to see America take the best qualities from its polarized culture and become more unified in faith, empathy, self-discipline, selfless concern, and a culture of listening and learning before speaking. 
To me, there's a difference between what America is and what America means. I believe in the America that could be. Some thoughts about freedom, about America, recorded and produced by one of our assistant producers, Jen Baker. We've got just a few minutes, and uh, way back at the beginning of today's episode, you were promised a fireworks experience yes. by our producer, Brian Tanner. Yes, <laughs> I've been excited to share this. The, the time has come. <laughs> so this actually came to my mind when we were thinking about the, those questions of what's the most American thing you've ever sure. seen. Yeah. And I was just like, oh man, I had a 4th of July experience that I will never forget. <laughs> so I was visiting... Uh, my sister up in the Seattle area and on the 4th of July and she said, hey, there's a party at a friend's house tonight. Do you want to come? There'll be fireworks. There'll be snacks. There's a pool. Uh, you can bring kids, whole family. And I was like, that sounds great. So we get down there and sure enough, snacks, pool, having a good time. Um, but then they announced that the reenactment is about to begin and all participants in the reenactment, please report down to the field below the swimming pool. And I was like, reenactment? <laughs> what does that mean? So they said three, two, one, and then reenactment began. So Sam, I actually have a video of this reenactment that I want to show you. Okay. <laughs> I, I think I'm ready for it. Okay. <laughs> Okay, this sounds just like a regular yeah, yeah. fireworks To display. you listening at home, it just sounds like fireworks. But, but Sam, tell us what, what you're yeah, looking at right I, here. There, yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's an open field. It looks, I mean, frankly, it looks like a battlefield, yeah. right? <laughs> and there are maybe 20 or 30 people running around. And, like, I think I just saw a guy running by with a garbage can lid strapped mm-hmm. to his arm like a shield. Yes. And, and there are some, like, barriers. It looks like things for barricades yes uh-huh. yeah. and and uh it, but the fireworks aren't going up into the air and exploding no they're not they're being fired like at, at, at each, each other, other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> don't try this at home yeah. we should say give the disclaimer but i got to say there's almost nothing here that looks like an actual reenactment to me. no no it does not yes <laughs> so this was labeled as a reenactment but with fireworks yeah yeah <laughs> and this is something i will never forget i mean this was just so crazy to me and so uh i track down the person who was in charge of organizing this and I just ask him some questions about like what the heck was this? <laughs> I'm Doug Beam and I'm the originator of our uh, 4th of July uh, reenactment experience. So I asked him how did this all get started? Uh, we're adventure- we're an adventurous folk and so uh, we wanted to basically have a fireworks war um, and to get it past the parents of of all of my son's friends, we had to we had to roll in. We'd say, "Hey, we're doing the we're doing a Fourth of July event, and we're going to reenact the Revolutionary War." And so, they did the Revolutionary War, but then this kept going, and it kept getting bigger and bigger. So yeah, each year we would have a theme uh, that would loosely follow uh, different wars. So Revolutionary War, Civil War, World War One, um, and World War Two. And, and Sam, if you thought that these barricades and stuff were uh, kind of elaborate. Uh, and I do. <laughs> yes. just, it sounds like that wasn't even the most elaborate one. But like uh, World War I, um, we, you can also call it trench warfare. Like we had trenches and, and mounds of dirt as opposed to this one. Um, uh, we just had uh, barricades. So I know what you're probably thinking. Like, how is this safe? That is exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tell you right well, now. he assured me that there were safety precautions taken. Uh-huh. To be on the quote-unquote safe side, we had a, a chief of fire uh, would come every year, and we also had an emergency room doctor who would be there. So a fire chief and an emergency room doctor, I have to say that if I were like a parent and I knew that somebody was doing uh, an activity like this, and that they had a fire chief and an emergency room doctor yeah. on hand, that would be like the that would make me less inclined to say, <laughs> oh well, then okay, go. Yeah. It's, uh, so so I I get I, I get this sense that this must have been like super top secret, right? Like they weren't telling the neighbors about this, or or heaven forbid, the authorities, right? You know, I actually uh, asked him about that, and he said, no, this was not a secret. It was it was well known. 
And I can testify to that because I was just some random dude visiting my sister, and even I got the invite. So <laughs> <laughs> this, mu- I, I, the, just the sheer quantity of fireworks that I saw on the video that you just showed, they've got to be spending. What? Who knows? Yeah, I asked him about that as well. We probably spent, you know, six to ten thousand dollars in fireworks. I don't even know what to say. That's a fortune in fireworks. (laughs) (laughs) Very dedicated to this. And again, you can you you, uh, at home you can't see the air quotes that I'm using. Reenactment. Exactly. Uh Uh, Is in a battle like this, is there a winner? How do you know who wins? Yeah, that's an excellent question. To me, it just looks like chaos. But he said that you know. There usually was a winner. The teenagers always beat us. I'll be honest with you, because they're tougher and 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 there's a lot of them. So that's the message: is the teenagers are tougher and generally <laughs> win. <laughs> yeah, but but it was interesting to talk to him about like what does this all mean? Or yeah, yeah. you know this this run has come to a close now, yeah. and how does he look back on it? I I I, I got to tell you, I have the same question. Yeah. So he just talked about that they just have all these memories from this. And mm. it was kind of this gung-ho, crazy thing that they did. Um, but they they it, it was something that they'll never forget, and it was something that drew them closer together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at the beginning of the episode, we were talking about symbols of freedom. And, you know, fireworks are sometimes something that people of all stripes can kind of get behind. When the fireworks go off, everybody holds hands and looks into the sky, you know. Yeah. I don't know that this experience is exactly what I had in mind when I, no. when I thought yeah. fireworks shows. It was uh, not what I had in mind and, when and, I showed and, up to that party. Right, and and, and certainly, I mean, how, how strenuously can we say don't try this at home? Hey, yes, but, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my niece was actually in the battle. I'd oh, forgotten that. He, oh, wow. he reminded me. Wow. And um, I, I know it's something that she'll never forget in their family has memories that they can talk about wow. and that's something we're always talking about here around the apple seed right like if, if something sparks a memory share it with your family and <laughs> <laughs> in this well, case spark right in the, spark. In the fireworks it sense. does yes. spark spark a memory takes on a uh, on a new meaning certainly uh uh it's been such a pleasure we've gone from fireworks to the statue of liberty to thoughts about sunflowers. It's been a great hour on the Appleseed. We always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love. That kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. You can find us on the BYU Radio app. Find all of the great programs produced by BYU Radio there. The Appleseed is pleased and proud to be part of that great family of programs. And if you found us on the podcast, you can rate us and review us. We hope that you will. It helps people find the show. Subscribe to the podcast for more from The Appleseed just about every day. I'm Sam Payne. It's been a pleasure to be joined by Brian Tanner. Brian, thanks. Oh, it's been great. This has sparked a lot of memories for me. So, yes. <laughs> and we can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Seed.